Ready? Hello and welcome to Rhythm and Pixels, a video game music podcast. This is episode number 20-5, and we're your hosts. My name is Rob Nichols. And I'm Pernell. Oh, we're getting low, everybody. We're getting real low. Um, every week we listen to great video game music from the past and the present from all consoles, but mainly the bass parts. I'm not sure what I was thinking, but more, more so the present. Because oh, yeah, more, the, more of the present. Because time travel is a very difficult process, and it costs a lot of money to do. Yeah, retro games are getting more and more expensive. But no, today is all about one system and one man. The Game the Boy... Capitalism? This is <laughs> this, this, this episode is about the Game Boy Advanced... Advanced? Advanced. The Game Boy Advanced Advanced. Advanced. <laughs> I never I can never figure that out. Twice the, the advancement. Game Boy Advance and Michael Bridgewater of the Forever Sound Version Podcast. Advance. Advance. Michael Bridgewater Advance. MBA. Hello there. <laughs> it's good to see you. Good to see you too, Rob Advance and <laughs> Pernell Advance. Uh, yeah. I'm sticking with uh, that. It's been a minute. It Thanks really a lot happens. for having me again. Oh, oh, thank you for absolutely. coming on, man. It's and been a long, for, a long time coming. And it was thank you for suggesting this topic too, because it's been a GBA is a weird, weird box. Mm. Like, there's a lot of games on it, but not as many as I remembered there being for one. And I well, I came to realize while prepping for the show that I kind of knew it from the retail days too that this system for all the good games it had, holy cow, it was a. It was a shovelware machine. Yeah, that's a Nintendo it's like a system. magnet for shovelware, right? That's just mm-hmm. a Nintendo system, though. And I'm going to say that, not knowing any Nintendo <laughs> system. <laughs> um, so, Michael, tell, tell us what tell us about the GBA, what it means to you, your experience with it. So, uh, the Game Boy Advance is a, is a system that uh, actually constitutes uh, the theme of my most recent episode on my podcast, Forever Sound Version. Um, I covered a bunch of tunes... Mm from games like uh, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, uh, Sonic Advance, uh, Mario Kart Super Circuit. You know, there's some really, really interesting uh, compositions across the software library of the system. But it's not a system that I owned when it came out, actually. Uh, I didn't own a Game Boy Advance until uh, relatively recently, so I could... I kind of got uh, got a couple of them so I could play around with some uh, music software like Nano Loop to to make some like chip tune type stuff. But I did own a Nintendo DS the, the day yeah. that system came out, yes. and of course that system can play Game Boy Advance games, mm-hmm. which were a little bit cheaper than DS titles when the DS titles start uh, first started circulating. So I would. I was uh, getting familiar with the Game Boy Advance's software library through the Nintendo oh, DS. Oh, nice. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I've got the the original, because, you know, the original Nintendo DS was a kind of chunky affair. <laughs> it was a little bit larger than the one that most people ended up having, right? So yeah. I'm still using that to play uh, DS games and the occasional Game Boy Advance game, too. Honestly, uh, it's a good play. I mean, like, I still, I mine broke at one point, and Rob actually gave me his old DS, yeah, we, which is what we, I used to play oh, Game Boy Advance games. We used to get together, and we would just play um, Nintendo DS games constantly. 
um, like as like a group, then we get other people mm. together. Because I had that um, the downloading feature that you could do over, yeah, the, over the wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which so I bought right. all the games, and yeah. he was like, "Let's just play." <laughs> we like, just right. play them. And um, but no, but even still, I I only had like the little uh, the little insert that was the placeholder for the the Game Boy Advance games would go in because I never actually played any Game Boy Advance games. I don't think I've ever played the Game Boy Advance game. Is that right? I don't think so. Huh. I've always oh, wanted, except for the ones that are ported from the Super Nintendo. And even then, like, I was super excited when I saw, like, oh, the Game Boy Advance has, like, um, a Super Dodgeball and stuff like that. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Mm. Like, I should get in on that, but never did. I find this kind of funny that we're covering pretty much all three spectrums of Game Boy Advance ownership. Though I guess there could be considered a fourth one. But so mm-hmm. Michael got it at the end of his life. By playing yes. it through the DS, mm-hmm. Rob never played it at all. No sir. And I got it at the very <laughs> beginning. I got it as a launch system because I was all geeked for it. Oh my god, it's like a portable Super Nintendo. Oh, yeah. I have to get it. And I remember you had the right. the Nintendo SP. Yeah, I ended up eventually getting the SP. I still had that too. And that, that's just a Game Boy Advance that like folds up like a like an old school like phone. Yeah, Nokia phone, right? that's the one I've got. Yeah, yeah. That thing is wonderful. It's like a clamshell thing, right? Yeah, really but, clever design. But it also taught me that. The whole concept of clamshells is kind of jerkish. Like, people would always say, oh, it's a clamshell. That means it protects your system from dents and scratches. I've had actually three systems break while in their clamshell form. <laughs> the screen shatters oh. while it's clamshell. Like, because people used to team is like, you always get a carrying case for your systems. Why do you do that? Oh, yeah. The first time I was carrying the DS around, the zipper on my carrying case broke, and on the way to the store to replace it, the screen cracked. Um, well, your 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 portable game systems are truly portable. Like you take well, you you take them anywhere and everywhere. <laughs> yes, you, I do. Switch yeah. is in the bag right now. Yeah, I, and it's always with you. You come here to play board games, and it's in the kitchen charging up. That's right. <laughs> I put time into my machines, man. Well, let's um let's let's first talk about a little bit about the hardware of the Game Boy Advance. How why mm-hmm. it sounds the way it does, how it sounds the way it does, and then let's listen to some music. Okay. Okay. So we have inside the Game Boy Advance is dual 8-bit DAC for stereo, um, called Direct Sound, and plus all the legacy channels from the Game Boy um, Color. So the new channels can be used to play back streams of wave data, and or could be used to output multiple wave samples processed and mixed in software by the CPU. This is really important because there's no dedicated audio processor, which means that. The same processor used for the gameplay and for the video and for the graphics is also used for the sound. So that means if they did not budget any kind of CPU cycles for the music, they had to downsample everything before it got, you know, pushed out of the speakers. And that's yeah. and, and so we're hearing a lot of great compositions sounding like kind of staticky, kind of lame, because it was just super compressed because the hardware just wasn't budgeted to do it. So developers could use a mix of Game Boy Color sounds and Game Boy Audio sounds, like like on the Genesis, right? They would use like the old school Sega Master System like channels with like the FM synthesis channels. Yeah, and they could use that to maximize the efficiency because the Game Boy Color was just pulse waves. But not many people did that, except for certain games that were amazing examples of that, like Drill Dozer. So that did they use that technique? Yeah, and that's why it sounds so good. Um, the best OSTs on that system. And also, we'll, we'll notice, and maybe even today we'll notice, that some of the titles that were European-developed, uh, um, a lot of stuff from Germany, is going to sound really good because a lot of those those composers are from the demo scene and they're used to working with limitations on the Amiga. And so they had a bit mm-hmm. of a leg up doing that, writing their own sound drivers and sound sets for the hardware. 
Um, and, a lot, and in a lot of cases, as we're finding even today, that a lot of the music and a lot of the sounds were uploaded. They were put onto the cart in like uncompressed format or a format that was less compressed. But because of the limitations of the CPU, it was compressed on the way out. So we're finding that some people on YouTube, if you go out and look for it, they're actually able to download the sound set, to download the sound files from the Game Boy cartridges and play them back at a much higher quality. That isn't always the case, but we're, we're finding it more and more. It always leaves me wondering if that's the case, then if someone were to say rip a Game Boy, say rip, but rip a Game Boy Vez game and then play it on an emulator that doesn't have the limitations that the actual console had, would they actually play the full quality sound on the emulator? I don't know much about uh, mm. Game Boy Advance emulation. Do you have any experience with uh, that? Yes, I, I have emulated Game Boy Advance titles uh, a fair bit, and I... I th- I could be wrong, but I believe the emulator I'm using is a true emulator insofar oh, as it uh, also emulates the deficiencies on the way out. Oh, uh, which uh, maybe I could, maybe it would be cool if there was like a like a tick box option to disable mm-hmm. that. If yep. you know, I've, it would maybe give you a different experience if you want something in the way of more of a mm. like a hi-fi Sonic experience. But uh, I, from what I remember, yeah, it, it does come out a little bit on the rough side on the emulation too. Mm. So I just wanted to give that preface because I feel like the Game Boy Advance has only has a specific sound because most of the developers didn't really put enough care or did not like budget for um, you know the sound quality on the way out. Otherwise, the Game Boy Advance doesn't really have its own signature sound, well, honestly, or shouldn't anyway. Well, I honestly feel like back then, um, even though game music, game composition, as we all know, has been obviously always been a concern for a lot of just the actual composers themselves i would say it wasn't until until like, i want to say like 2005 or maybe even a little after that that there became like a huge like interest in like people outright discussing soundtracks mm-hmm. and music mm-hmm. to the point where like people were actually lauding hey this game has this composer on it we put a lot of work into the sound on this game you know like actually hyping it up as part of the features for the game itself. Actually, yeah, it wasn't until um, Rhythm and Pixels started that people really started to pay attention <laughs> to soundtracks and music. You are responsible. Yeah. Oh, mercy. <laughs> well, let's start with some great music. Michael, why don't you kick us off? Do you have the, the tracks in front of you? I do, yes. All right. All right. So You're at the control. My first pick. Yes, I'm in the booth, and I am picking <laughs> some music from um, uh, what I believe is the second F-Zero title to be released on the Game Boy Advance, and that is called F-Zero Climax, uh, which came out in 2004. And the track I'm going with is Red Canyon. Uh, Composer is Kenji Hikita.
the track Red Canyon from the game F-Zero Climax for the Game Boy Advance composed by Kenji Hikita. And I gotta say, just a little behind the scenes for our listeners, I like the notes you put in the Google Doc, I love that you put like little like what you liked about each track. And this one is Thrashy Riff. I love the... Uh, Thrash. Yeah. Yeah, man. No doubt. It's uh, It's got that pace and the, you know, the sort of the implicit palm muting thing with the guitar. Yeah, yeah. It's like a dan da dan da dan yeah, like a Metallica sort of thing. Yeah, sort of, uh, sort of like a, um, a make, make each note really um, distinct and then do it super, super fast. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah, right. So I'm, I'm into that, and it's it's kind of uh, supplemented by those like orchestra hit sounds, which to me sounds just like 90s arcade titles, <laughs> like you know Konami games or something. So it just sounds like fast and, and there's some serious attitude going on, you know. It turns out I was wrong, right? Like this is not the second uh, F Zero game on the Game Boy Advance, but the third. Is that right? Yeah. So apparently on launch there was F Zero Maximum Velocity. That's the one I actually ended up purchasing, and believe it or not, it is the first actual F Zero experience I ever had. Oh no kidding! I couldn't get to the SNES one; it just didn't click for me visually. Hmm. So I immediately dismissed it after like one race on like the first track in the game. Yeah, my cousin had that, and I used to go over and babysit for him, and I would just play it all the time. <laughs> shout outs. Then the second track, what? Shout outs. Shout outs to Mikey. What's up, Mikey? <laughs> if he's listening, I don't know. The second track <laughs> is from the, oh, the second game was called F Zero GP Legend, where if I recall, it was, I think it was either a remake of the first F Zero or it was a focus on, like, had a more of a focus on Captain Falcon. Hmm. Like, why, I don't know. Oh, okay. Cause, like, there's, like, a weird memory there, because I didn't mess with that one. But then, apparently, the one you just chose from, F-Zero Climax, came out in Japan, and only Japan, which is why I've never yeah, heard of it right. until you brought oh. it up on the show today. What I find really interesting is, um, after the thrash guitar comes in, there's a little bit of, a, like, a melody that's coming through, and it's, it's super reminiscent of classic Super Nintendo F-Zero. It sounds like, I, I can't even think of it. Maybe it's, um, wasn't there, like, a Canyon something from, F- from the first F-Zero? I think it was Red Canyon. Mm, was it called Red Canyon? Maybe, maybe that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah. It's something about like those, those, those notes that are like do 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 do. Because they reuse yeah. location things. Like mm. I know F Zero X on the uh, N64, that had Red Canyon on it too. So, and also had one of the best darn F Zero themes for that stage. So. Yeah, I never played the the 64 one. It looks really fast. It is super fast. But after playing the one on the GameCube. Mm. That's nothing. Yeah. The GameCube one took what I thought could be fast in racing games and just blew it out of the water. It's insanely quick. Like, I, you can get motion sick playing that game easily. <laughs> well, it's um, it's good that you started this this uh, episode off, uh, Michael, with thrashing guitars and orchestra hits. I mean, no, it's not oh, it's yeah. not a first for the show, but it's always good to like start with it because those are two things I love. <laughs> I don't yeah, well, I think I've got time for him as well. It kind of uh, that combination. I suppose I'm, I'm, I've got myself thinking along these lines now. You know that uh, that uh, live album that Metallica did with the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and maybe, maybe it's a, the sort of a Game Boy Advance equivalent of that. <laughs> <laughs> so. It's Metallica and like a guy like on an old like DX like whatever Yamaha keyboard like going. Dun, 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 yeah, yeah, dun. yeah. Like stabbing the buttons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like that. Well, out of curiosity, like during the time you did spend with the GBA, can you think of like any particular favorite titles from the machine? Or uh, my favorite game on the system 
uh, is uh, Metroid Fusion, probably. Uh, but that's largely down to the simple fact that uh, one of my favourite games of all time is Super Metroid, and Metroid Fusion plays rather a lot like Super Metroid. Yeah. Uh, so it, it just felt like more of what I already really loved. Um, maybe it wasn't quite as... Uh, uh, maybe not quite in the same league as Super Metroid, uh, in terms of uh, the free exploration aspect especially, but... I don't know. I just, I just loved that I could have more of my favorite game on a handheld. Even yeah. you know that that was really wild for me. Yeah, I was actually going to say like I, if I remember correctly, when that one came out, there was a like people were giving it a lot of guff because of the they were focused more on the narrative <laughs> in regards really? to yeah because huh. like mm. it was like Michael said, Super Metroid still felt more Metroid open, even though they yeah. had an intention for where they wanted you to go in the game. It mm. felt like you were finding that out yourself. And the exploration felt more apparent, whereas in the Metroid Fusion, for like the first, I want to say almost three quarters of the game, you're kind of being guided by narrative. Like, you need to go unlock this door, you need to unlock this elevator shaft, and then you had those cool moments where like the other Samus suit was like chasing around or something like that. That's awesome. But like, that's right. I I think it's cool. I I like that they will build that, especially in sequels, uh, the idea of of taking, taking an original idea and expanding on it with more drama essentially um especially when it wasn't always there but it's interesting that's basically what it was rob yeah i mean there's a real uh, i think it kind of doubled down on what many perceive to be like a ridley scott influence hmm. on the metroid series you know how it's obviously you're in it's like an alien world and like horror is just around the corner sort of thing yeah. i think with with being led into certain rooms to accomplish certain micro goals to survive it, it does feel genuinely quite sinister mm-hmm. uh, and maybe that wouldn't have been uh, as possible had it been the open thing that Super Metroid was I mean to a lesser extent yeah. maybe I, I don't know kind of created its own genre too but um, let's go on to Cornell's first track oh why, why God be me because it's an odd numbered episode <laughs> you and your rules <laughs> your just, rules it really helps me to um, <laughs> sleep at night no it really helps me to keep things together I actually ended up going a little weird this episode, so I like your I like your picks. I didn't listen to all of them yet, but like they're all over the place. So like, I guess I'll, I'm going to I'm not going to use them all because I always pick way too many. But I am going to pick this from nice. One. So the first one is a little lighter on the light side. This game is called Bomberman Tournament, and the track is just the forest overworld environment, and the composers are Koichi Sayama and Jun Chikima or Chikuma. Welcome back. You're listening to the playful 
exciting, friendly, and fun <laughs> no Forest Overworld tune from the game Bomberman Tournament on the Game Boy Advance, composed by Koichi Sayama and Jun Chikuma. You're saying that because during the track, I was remarking about how sad this sounded. It was very nostalgic, very like lost love, you know, grade school prom night kind of thing. I can see the I can see yeah. the nostalgia element, but more on the lighter side, like going out with your friends in the woods and fishing. <laughs> And eat carp and <laughs> finding secret tunnels in the woods, you know, stepping on bugs and getting stung by a bee, you know, all that fun stuff. Yeah. So, like, this, well, first of all, I love the music in this game and this track in particular. But one thing about this game that always kind of surprised me is that when it came out, like I said, as the title says, it was called Bomberman Tournament. Why they called it that, I have no idea. If anything, it should have been called something like Bomberman Adventure. Were they focusing on the multiplayer at all? Quite possibly, mm. but I think it does the game a disservice because this game was pretty much designed done to be like if Bomberman and Utopia had a baby. Utopia was the Zelda-like franchise that ran on the TurboGrafx-16 back in the 90s. Oh, that's right, yeah. So oh. this is basically uh, Bomberman. Also, an amazing soundtrack. Yes. I love that music. So good. It's so good. So, like, this game is basically mm. Bomberman walking around an Utopia world, and he's bombing his way into dungeons, and he's going to shops and buying gear. So it's like Bomberman with the Bomberman... The Bomberman, the Bomberman, the bomb, the Bomba Man, the Bomber. Put the bomb in the Bomba Bomberman. The Bomberman ball with the ball, man. The ball, ball with the ball. With those game mechanics, but in an adventure world, like a game adventure kind of game. Yes, that's cool. And I like it a lot. And they had like a little homage even there. Like there's like there's a theme that plays when you go into the homes, and that theme pays homage to Newtopia because there's sounds from the Newtopia House theme in the track in this game too. Oh, very cool. But I thought this would be like a good track to throw on the show because I was getting, honestly, I've been getting real nostalgic with the Game Boy Advance over the last two weeks in preparation for this episode. It's been, yeah, it's, it's been swell. It's nice to look back on it. Yeah. I have an important question for Michael, though. In the world of Bomberman, what is your favorite power-up, if you can think of one? There's only one. Favorite power-up? Yeah. There's only um, one. Oh, uh, uh, the croquet mallet, right? Where you kind of knock the bombs down the lanes. Yeah, yeah. I love how it's your, I love how overseas <laughs> it's like it's not a shoe, it's a croquet ballad. <laughs> That's what it looks like to me. I'm I'm thinking to the I'm thinking of Super Bomberman on the SNES. Yeah, no, me too. Right? I think we I think I, we I all think that's at what it, it looks as, like. As kids we were like, oh that's a boot. You got the boot, right? <laughs> I'm asking I'm not sure if I'll ever be able to see it that way again. I think it's gonna be a croquet ballad. Alright, so what, what what's let me the, let me check let's have a, I'm gonna check out what it looks it could like. Be, and it very I, well I could be know. I mean it's only like like eight by eight <laughs> pixels, who knows? But no, you're what's your what so what's the best one? I love how I said it can only be one, but in truth there's like two that okay. I always toss between. And All there right. are one, the obvious choice that a lot of people will choose, which is the remote mind, which is when you can detonate the bomb whenever you want. Of course, if you don't have any flame, then what the heck's the point? So you do need to juice was that, it up. Was that the jelly mine in the Super Nintendo? Oh, God, no. I hate the jelly bomb. Unless yeah. I just want to hate everybody. Because you throw <laughs> the jelly bomb and it just bounces around. Yeah, you can't predict my, it. That's my, that my jam. But, jelly bomb. Jelly so <laughs> the detonator, again, is like the easy fit. But, again, if there's not a lot of power in your bombs, it's just kind of here. But the glove, not the boxing glove, the but the actual pick pickup up. glove. Yes. That, especially Ooh. in multiplayer, 
is the real jerk power because if you start to match off and get a glove, just turn around, throw the bomb over the wall, and trap the guy while he's trying to dig his way out well, to start the stage. You get like a real Mexican standoff situation where like it's, like you, you face against your opponent, then suddenly you can pick up a bomb and they can't, and you're just like staring them down. And like, you better run. Chasing them, <laughs> like, yeah! <laughs> like, I I am notoriously the, like, the jerk of my friend circle for Bomberman. Like, I'm horrible. Horrible. Yeah, I don't think I'll play that game with you. Can't catch me. I'm the Bomberman. <laughs> <laughs> Running as fast uh, as I can. I but, can confirm that it really does look like a boot rather than a croquet. Uh, so I'm, the, I'm the idiot here. No, nah. I, th- I think the truth <laughs> is that they actually did make it like a croquet mallet over there. If you said it, <laughs> you didn't realize. If you said it was a cricket bat, I would think that there was some weird, weird localization going on. <laughs> I'm, I'm That's still, what they should have done. I'm still <laughs> under the belief that it may have been weird localization. We just we're all just succumbing <laughs> to it right now. Mm. All right, so yeah, maybe. Yeah, so my first track, I'm going off on a completely different direction because I didn't, I never realized that one of these sequels was released for the Game Boy Advance, and now I'm really excited about it. This is the intermission music from the game Zone of Enders, The Fist of Mars. Because um, Zone of Enders, I was kind of into on the PS2. It was one of those earlier titles. <laughs> but the music, I was obsessed with. Absolutely obsessed with the music. And this is on the Game Boy Advance, composed by Tetsuya Fujiwara, Susuma Nakamura. <laughs> to Intermission from the game Zone of Enders, Fist of Mars, composed by Tetsuya Fujiwara and Susumu Nakamura for the Game Boy Advance. And you would be uh, you'd be right along with us if you were confused and thought this maybe came from Ridge Racer for the PlayStation. <laughs> but yeah, it sounds... Was that Hideki Naganuma or Okugawa? I think it was Naganuma. Um, this is just... It's, it's like the, the pads are smooth and buttery. And those little skittery drums. They're kind of like, yeah, the yeah, it's butter, man. Tell you, you're back on it. You're back on that food description. 
What, what does this sound like? It's got a bit of a buttery taste, but there's yeah, but yeah, a dash yeah. of crunch. Ooh, it's creamy and sweet, like a chocolate ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a very specific kind of synesthesia, isn't it? Like, <laughs> it's like just kind of guy it tastes that like it sounds. But, but it's these 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 kinds of drums where it's like it's like this kind of like real fast, real um, like syncopated and, and cut up um, like amen breaks, but like they're really high up there and they just sort of like tickle. Like your ears on top of the uh, on top of everything mm-hmm. else going on, and then once that little like synth thing comes on, like this is everything I love about like futuristic '90s music. You know, it also yeah. just makes me think. Just again, how like just hearing it from the headphones right now, and how well it's you know mitigating itself Ooh. between the different channels. I can imagine hearing this on the actual Game Boy with headphones on, mm. because I would not have expected this. This no. sounds really good to be coming off of a Game Boy. No, I really wanted to find some good Advanced. examples of yeah, good examples of of music on the Game Boy Advance that came out, you know, good. And and then from all, from all <laughs> you know, not like yours. Well, I mean, like imagine like okay, you have your Game Boy Advance and it's it's two thousand whatever, and you're, and you're playing two thousand next two thousand late, and you're playing uh, <laughs> Super Mario or something, and you're like everything's kind of sounds kind of gritty, kind of pushed through the speakers, and then you put this game in, and it sounds like completely different mm-hmm. yeah. I'm gonna go with that yeah. for sure yeah. again this is one I didn't even know this game again I didn't know about this game's existence until you guys until you brought up on the show and I went and looked up this would have been totally up my alley so if I had actually bought this game back then and heard the music playing through the speakers I'd have been in happy town yeah I think that the that the, the developers probably left all of this the, the computer cycles for those those pads and the, and the bass and then they used I think for that synthesizer sound they used the Game Boy channels those kind of beepy sounds, but, ah. but I think they—I think that helped them maybe uh, save some cycles during these sections. And also, if it's an intermission, there's probably not a whole lot going on. Maybe it's a lot of yeah, stories. yeah. There's something in that. I mean, this is a this sort of drum and bass style. It's it's of that kind of specific kind where it's almost like a cross between drum and bass and like chill out music. Yes. You know, yeah. it's it's got the real like you say like frenetic drums but they're kind of canopied so they're not really pummeling you and then you have these really slow like texture carried things underneath just makes you feel mm. even though it's going a mile a minute it, it somehow feels sort of dreamy for it yeah totally. it's, it's just really nice your With head regard starts to, to like to like the your, your head starts to bob like on the quarter notes instead of like this crazy like eighth notes and sixteenths. yeah like yeah that. that's it <laughs> yeah. that's exactly it yeah and it, and it is so crisp like i mean it's worth mentioning that it's it seems like a fairly unlikely format for uh demo scene stuff the game boy advance but um it's true like some composers and some coders have uh, made some productions on it and and part of the challenge i guess is to make things sound as sharp as they can mm. like i was uh, i was just showing rob earlier there's a, a demo by the famous uh, swedish amiga group upruff mm. uh, called upruff city on the game boy advance and it's a sort of john carpenter inspired thing with uh, a <laughs> Yeah. Like a really sort of like quasi uh, futuristic thing going on, and a really really nice soundtrack. Um, and yeah, my my friend Brendan, uh, also known as Scythus uh, from Newcastle, he did the music on that thing. So oh, cool! Yeah, if any, really if any listeners, uh, any listeners want to check out uh, some really high end Game Boy Advance demo scene that has a similar sort of sound world up to a point to this kind of thing, then yeah, Up Rough City. I mean, it's on YouTube, so it's quite easy to find. Honestly, I gotta say, now. I, was, I had this whole like thought in my mind about how to describe this track, and like now I just feel like I'm just flubbing words. I'm like, it has an, an apple crisp start, but it kind of <laughs> runs through a nice smooth marmalade whirl, and then it comes out with a marshmallow fluff finish that makes me feel 
don't know. I kind of Hershey's. I agree with everything you just said about this track. <laughs> I was I was saying that um I almost chose a track from the game that's so Raven over this one because the beats oh. the beats were just as like as interesting but they were super crunchy and it had like this kind of like this hip hop slash R and B of this like early two thousands era where it sounded like um uh, um oh, what was that 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 the music from Charlie's Angels um. All the ladies and something, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's oh. all you. <laughs> I don't Destiny's recognize Child, it, but right? that's good. That? It was like Chris- Christina Aguilera and like Missy Elliott. I think it was Destiny's Child. On Destiny's Child. Wait, you guys talking about the Crawley's Angels movie? <laughs> yeah, when that came out. Oh, okay, so like, I'm like, what are you talking so, about? So like, it's so beat heavy and the music just sounds like it's just right from that movie. It's really clever. It got me to yeah. thinking just now, too. I don't know why I, just, I only just thought about this, but... uh. It makes me wonder how many like hidden treasure OSTs are out there. And I say that because the Game Boy Advance was when a number of composers were just getting their start. And they were getting their start on licensed game properties. Yeah, that's so true. even though the games themselves were being churned out just to get that childhood, that child money, mm-hmm. the composers were trying to get paid and they were trying to flex their chops at yeah. the same time. So well, they were the, putting out masterful the, work. The composer that we had on the show for a magical time being who, mm-hmm. who developed and composed uh, for Escape Goat and Escape Goat 2, mm-hmm. he started on the Game Boy Color and the Game Boy Advance doing like Harry Potter games and stuff like that. Yeah, and I know like yeah. Bert oh, wow. did like the Smurfs. Yeah, Vert did a lot of that stuff too, and um, and even way, way if you go back even further, like Alberto Jose Gonzalez. Oh, he was all like Looney Tunes. And yeah, stuff, Looney right? Tunes and the Smurfs and stuff. And Asterix, yeah. Asterix, yeah. yeah. Asterix, Obelix, Obelisks, Obelix. Blows me away. Obelix, like, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> I never figured me, that out. It's gonna make me have to change my entire way of outlooking at some of this stuff because, like, I this well, this episode is a little different, but typically I only pick tracks from games I've played. And when I start delving into these other titles, it has a weird effect, like Cartoon Matchland, Cartoon Network Matchland effect, I'll call it. <laughs> yeah, you weren't expecting like this amazing soundtrack from Norrin Rad. Yeah. yeah, and then I, up, I make myself play the game to mix the results, but I'm like, the music is what makes me play the game. So yeah. like, I have to experience this now that I want to hear more of the music. I can't just oh. listen to the music and walk away. Absolutely, there's so much. There's a lot of good stuff. We need to do an iOS or like an Android or some kind of mobile phone um, episode. There's a lot of great indie stuff. It's funny you say that because, and I'm going to mention this because I think it's worth bringing up. So before Michael stated he wanted to do GBA, Mm -hmm. which was a tie back to his episode, where I was like, oh, we got to totally do GBA. I didn't know we had a topic. So the thought I had was going to be quote unquote rubbish game. Oh. And obviously <laughs> oh, yeah. it would have to start with a disclaimer saying no game is rubbish as long as someone likes it. Yeah, I would I would be um, a little nervous to name an episode that. But that's the joke and that's why you put yeah. it in quotation marks and not <laughs> just leave it as it is. But the idea is just that you pick tracks from games that you yourself probably don't like, well, but the music itself is just really good. We did that with the uh, the Pixel Tunes radio podcast. Where it was like uh, great music and bad games. Yeah, and I picked from Bebe's uh. Kids. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so we're gonna let's move on to our our second track from Michael Bridgewater for the Game Boy Advance. All right. Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to keep uh, keep things rolling in this similar sound world. Actually, oh, you uh, know, kinda, something you know kind of jungle esque. Yes. Um, I'm going with um, I'm going with a track from the game Ace Combat Advance. And this is an in-game tune. Uh, I don't have a title, I only have BGM number two. Uh, Ace Combat Advance was released 2005, and the composer is a Hungarian composer called Andras Kerver. 
You're listening to Background Music 2 from the game Ace Combat Advance for the Game Boy Advance, composed by Andras Kover. And yeah, this has got the jungle beat to it, but then it gets into like a kind of, you know, James Bond style thing towards the end here. <laughs> it kind of does, yeah. It's that kind of chromatic descending. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Even though you're flying a plane rather than sneaking around. Yeah, so, for some reason it reminds me of, um, of the Desert Strike games, you know? I had that kind of like... Desert Strike maybe, more helicopter games. Yeah, right? helicopters, yeah. But I'd imagine right, that kind yeah. of like slower paced kind of like sneaking up on things even though you're a giant helicopter blowing up, you know, tanks and stuff. Giant helicopter? <laughs> just like this Godzilla helicopter just flying around. <laughs> Look out! It's going to well, destroy you, us all! <laughs> I'm just, I say giant, but like a helicopter's not small. You know, it's like... That is true. It's at least twice my size, right? It's carrying a lot of weapons. So it's got to <laughs> nah, be pretty big. Maybe three. Let's go with three times your size. Three times my size. Oh, three times. Three times my size, and and I yeah, and it's shooting other multiple Rob Nichols. No, it's, <laughs> it's shooting other <laughs> helicopters. Arm the torpedoes and put me in the side. <laughs> <laughs> and he just like when he fires you off, you're just like doing like beatboxing on your way up. <laughs> yeah. So so here we go with the um with kind of like the, the crisper sounding synthesizers, but with super chunky drums. Like they really wanted to sample that entire drum break, didn't they? I think so, yeah. The whole but you said uh, you kind of pointed out that it still sound it still has a little bit of noise behind the whole thing, so mm. it's almost as if it is like a like a really old, neglected, crackly yeah. like, jungle twelve inch single, right? It really is. Like, um, so way way back in the day when I was doing tracker music and stuff, and uh, like in high school, um, I would sample um, small keyboard sounds from like my like little Yamaha keyboards and stuff, and I would sequence those, and so they would sound super clear. But I wasn't good at programming drums and, and sequencing drums, so I would sample like entire like drum loops and cr- and like squish them and compress them so they were like really crunchy, and then I would play mm-hmm. them and loop those. And so when you play back the music, it sounded a lot like this, where like everything else sounded kind of like decent and the bass sounded bassy, but then like the drums would come in and it would just be all like 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 a really <laughs> yeah all like crunchy and stuff. So if you just took the drums out of this, it would probably sound really clear, but. Um, but I think it lends it. Like it sounds, yeah, it sounds like a vinyl crackle. It sounds, it sounds, it sounds authentic, which is in an odd way. Yeah, keep those drums on there. I actually prefer that. The overall sound was just—it's a cool it sound, was right? Yeah. And, and that second loop is when it really kicked in for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. You were like, "Whoa, wait a minute, leave it going." Yeah, there's more energy <laughs> kicking off <laughs> yeah. on this thing. Yeah. Shoot down. I'm wondering uh, to this. Do either of you have much experience with the Ace Combat games? Uh, not at all. I don't even know what. It, I don't even. I'm assuming it's planes, but. Fighter jets. I, I I have no personal experience, so to speak. It's one of those franchises where I've had friends who have tried to convince me to start the series, and mm. I keep saying, "Oh yeah, I should really do that," and then I don't, and then I'll end up playing some other like flying game, like Flying Tigers or something, and all the while someone's like, "You're playing Flying Friggin' Tigers, and you're not playing Ace Combat Six. What is wrong with you?" I'm really, like, I don't know. <laughs> It's a weird, weird thing to be elitist about. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, right. Well, I think it's less about elitist and more like, you know, it's that thing where someone's like, hey, you totally got to try this. You have to try this. And you're like, I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. You keep kicking the can, and then the guy hears you. I'm playing this cool game. What are you playing? What are you playing? I'm playing this similar but lower budget game that came out last week that you've never told me about before. <laughs> what? 
what have I been telling you? I think it's less about elitism. It's just more like, oh, come on. You just sidestep years of recommendations from this game. In which case, I'm like, oh, I'll get around to it. But... I mean, it's a, I mean, it's got to be a fantastic franchise, though. It's been around for ages. It has been. Um, mm. How about you, uh, Michael? Have you, have you played this one at all? I haven't played Ace Combat Advance. It's kind of uh, on my uh, mental to-do list, I suppose. Although it does look quite a lot different to the Ace Combat games I am familiar with, because it kind of employs something of a top-down view, almost like Desert Strike, incidentally. Oh, cool. But, um, yeah, Desert... Uh, sorry, Ace Combat 3. I think it's called Ace Combat 3 Electrosphere on the PS1. Mm. That's a game I'm pretty familiar with, and it's, it's kind of uh, interesting for how it occupies this middle ground between being an afterburner-style arcade flight combat game and, like, a flight sim that's got loads, loads of uh, intricate controls. It's somewhere in the middle between mm. those two. So it's possible to stall the plane as you're fighting, for instance. You really? keep an eye on certain things. Yeah, it's, it's really annoying when that happens. <laughs> this, but, that sounds frustrating. <laughs> but that game's also got an awesome soundtrack, though. I, I don't remember the composers, but uh, Ace Combat 3, Electrosphere, it's, it's, it's a similar sort of... Uh, drum and bass by way of chill out that you were playing before so maybe i should do an episode on that at some point oh i would love that do you know if the other ace combat games are also are they, they're they all developed in the same like, like company or it's same namco i think is on, on namco oh, it's definitely yeah. namco because it's just interesting to see a western name on a namco title yeah, I don't know what the deal is with that, but yeah, this guy, he's, he's got a handful of uh, video game music credits, but I think most of his career centers around uh, making music for like TV commercials and things like that. Okay. He has a website, uh, Andres Kurva's website, uh, notebender.hu, which is a Hungarian uh, like domain suffix. Uh, yeah, there's some examples of some music he's done for adverts and things like that, so uh, I, I don't know why he did the music but i'm kind of happy he did though it's a it's a nice nice piece yeah, that's good all right so, all right Pernell, what's your second track well this is a weird one um going back to what i mentioned earlier about game boy advance popping out shovelware like gangbusters <laughs> um i came across this track today um not even today i say a couple days ago because i've been really nostalgic for stuff and this one hit me surprisingly hard for a show that I didn't really even watch a ton of. I just knew of it, and I loved the theme song to it. <laughs> so this track comes from the game Hi Hi Puffy Amiyumi Kaznapped, and the track is for the America stage and is composed by Tomoyoshi Sato.
Welcome back. You're listening to the theme for the America stage from the game Hi Hi Puffy Amiyumi Kaznet, the Game Boy Advance composed by Tomoyoshi Sato. This track is from a game that I have never played, but I'm probably going to this weekend. Mm. And because I want to play the game that this track spawns from. Now, I did watch some videos of the gameplay itself. I'm a uh, platformer? Yes, a platformer where you switch between Ami and Yumi, and pretty much, I don't know, let Rob take it away from here. Okay, so Ami and Yumi, they're rock stars. They just got back from a world tour concert and decided to take a break. And so Kaz, who is their, um, I think it's their manager. their manager. Their manager, like their little manager guy. Um, asks them why they are making new songs. And Ami and Yumi respond by telling them they were tired. Then Harmony, I guess is another character, uh, came walking in and, and asking Ami and Yumi to play in another concert. And they again claimed that they were tired. So Harmony hypnotizes Kaz, kidnaps him, while Ami and Yumi were stuck to the ground by a giant lollipop that Harmony threw. And then their cats, Jang Kang and Takirai, come and lick them free, and Ami and Yumi start a new journey to rescue their manager, Kaz. Um, so and the game is... So in Japan, the game is just Hi Hi Puffy Ami Yumi, which is the name of the show. Uh, this is Cartoon Network? Yeah, right? so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the band was just called Puffy, which is who the two characters were originally. They were basically taking their band personas and throwing them into a cartoon. Um, yeah, and it ran for, for a while. This game actually got pretty high ratings through IGN. Really? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Things happen when I like Google stuff during the show. And honestly, like <laughs> I did like the cartoon itself because I just—it's weird. Like it's one of those like cartoons where it just happens and you watch it and you enjoy it. But I was also older at this point, so the memory yeah. wasn't kicking as much. So, and I just enjoyed it. Cause all I do remember is that there were like live sequences where like the two singers would come on and like they would talk. Like a sort of, sort of English. It was just like, hey, we're talking. We're at festival eating ice cream. Ice cream <laughs> is delicious. Listen to the music. And then they listen to the music. And that goes <laughs> to the episode title. And they'll just have a show. And it's interesting because this, these two are the first instance that I can recall of the sweet and sour pairing, so to speak. You know, Ami was the cute sweet one. And Yumi was the hard rocker. You know, and then like other things have made use of that over the years since then too. Like your know, no, Splatoon no, no. does it. It's been done so much before. Like in Metallica, we had um, uh, uh, <laughs> oh, Trick and Ulrich. You know, sweet you had Lars Ulrich. yeah, yeah. You had the the sweet and the sour. <laughs> sweet Ulrich. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah why not? Because <laughs> well, now you got me thinking. Like, now, Basti, wonder what I've missed back in the day. Cause, like yeah, I know I about no these two. I know about the Gianna sisters when they revived the Gianna sisters brand. But that was just, that old knockoff. It yeah. was the same oh, concept you have the yeah. sweet and the sour hard rocker and the sweet girl and the splatoon sisters one was sweet one was a hard rocker you know brendan stimpy one was sweet one was gross yeah that buzz no, no, it's not so much sour they were just gross <laughs> one was a businessman well, like the other so, was just dopey so you can you can um switch between the two during the game yes yeah, so mm-hmm. one the, the ami had the sweet girl had the double jump and she had a whip that was actually her microphone cord that could like let her swing across chasms and such. And Yumi was the tough rocker who had a guitar that could smash blocks and she had like an air dash. So when you're running around the map, every once in a while you would come across fans of your music act. You don't fight them. Instead, you play music for them, calm them down. Otherwise, they mob you and do damage. <laughs> 
Oh, jeez. Such an interesting concept. You got to worry about those fans, Michael. Those podcast fans. They can be violent. Oh, no. They, they, they're like hammering the door of the studio down as I speak. <laughs> uh, quick, play my t- quick, quick, play my riff. And I'm like taking my seat my cell phone. I was like, yeah, secret of mine. <laughs> it's like, I got nothing. This is my recommendation for you. <laughs> like, uh, I, I have no experience of... Uh, encounter in this cartoon series that you're alluding to here this is completely new to me so uh yeah i'm gonna have to check this out uh is it you think it's something i would enjoy um it's hard to say i'm the type of guy (laughs) where i'll say when it comes to shows like this i say it's all about it's less about going into it saying i expect quality cartoon filled with heartwarming lessons and nah this sort of cartoon it's Light and buttery. There you go. I'm gonna. It's yeah. light and buttery. You go into it knowing you're gonna watch some cartoon kids yeah. get the stupid antics, like getting stuck to a giant lollipop. I would for s- no reason. I would. I'm yeah. gonna guess that it's like the classic Cartoon Network cartoons, where it's probably most enjoyable now as an adult enjoying an adult beverage. You know, in the evening, in the late late evening, being like, "Wow, this is really silly stuff," and having a good time. Yeah, yeah. I would yeah, definitely that's my sort of cartoon as yeah. well. I mean. <laughs> Cartoon Network, we had we had some semblance of it in the UK that I'd watch at my granddad's house, and it was I remember stuff like Two Stupid Dogs, I think, was on. Yeah. There. Oh, that show yeah. was so weird. Uh, I loved I it. Mean, I mean, the sillier the better, basically, right? For some reason, but, uh, the episode that I most remember about Two Stupid Dogs was the one where they was like a Hansel and Gretel house for some reason, mm-hmm. and at the end, the grandma actually eats everyone. The little girl with the glasses, <laughs> both of the dogs, and they're all on her stomach at the end. It's like. The end. It's like, why is this entertainment? Why is this so ridiculous? I think, I think the uh, the animator from Dexter's Laboratory and uh, Samurai Jack first worked on that show. Now, Gindy Tartakovsky. I think his very first show was his Powerpuff Girls. That was oh, his. I love that one. That too. was his bread and butter, oh, okay, and okay. that put him on the map. I want to say Dexter's Lab was also that. That was the yeah. second one he did. Um, yeah, Sam- Samurai Jack was like his magnum opus. Yeah, Samurai, Samurai Jack. I was reading an interview with him, and he talked about how, um, like he fi- like that was an opportunity for him to tell a story and and do it in a way that he actually believed, like everything he really wanted to do, and actually put it out there. And then he's done some like other things, like for movies uh, recently, and now he's got a new one coming out called like prehistory or something where it's about um, uh, cavemen and dinosaurs and it's supposed to be crazy violent. What's well, a new cartoon? Yeah, it's a new an- well, a- animated series, Purnell. Oh, it's, it's a graphic novel. <laughs> of course, yes. They're action figures, Purnell. Oh, mercy. <laughs> I gotta say that, like, for that to be, like, his like his his first four aims, like, storytelling animation, mm-hmm. Samurai Jack well, hit so many notes for people. In the interview, they said he said that um, they did, like, an hour-long or two-hour-long movie to finish the series and I, I had no idea there was an ending to the show but there was actually a cap to the story yeah and I'm think, really interested in going out and finding that. I've never seen the ender but I've seen mixed opinions because this has been come it's come up in like various conversations in regards to like you know I feel like this show did, didn't do uh, it didn't do justice to the story they were telling up to this point but I also feel like I'm in that bubble where I feel like a lot of people just genuinely have difficulty accepting closure to a show they've grown to love over years. And it's yeah. not even an insult mm-hmm. or smudge. No, yeah. I'm the same way. That's why I don't even finish half of my games, mm-hmm. believe it or not. like I'll get to the end and stop at like the final save point or the final dungeon entrance because I'm myself saying, we were on this awesome journey together. 
I'd rather just play through my head how it wraps up because I don't know if they'll actually do it justice for what I'd want to see. It's true. I, I do understand that it doesn't end well. And, I, and, and if you ever watch the show, you know it can't end well. I, I mean, it, it shouldn't anyway. If it mm. were to have any, any, not realism, but just... To carry the, the weight that the show was setting the, the, up. The tone of the story, yeah. Um, anyway, so my final track, and, and we had to throw one of these tracks in the game. Uh, this is from... I lost my tracks. This is from uh, <laughs> Castlevania Aria of Sorrow for the Game Boy Advance. This track is called The Purgatory Arena, composed by Machira Yamane for the Game Boy Advance. This is really cool, though. Five, five, four, five, four, one, three. This you're listening to. <laughs> this is the. You're listening to two grown men count. Yeah, this is the Purgatory <laughs> Arena from Castlevania: Aria of Sorrow for the Game Boy Advance, composed by Michiro Yamane. And I, I never really played any of these. It was this. It was this Igarashi. Is that his name? Oh, is this Koji Igarashi? Koji Igarashi. And I'm sure some, I'm probably, I probably got that darn wrong with my darn No, I know, we'll that, I know that's right, because I was, I was just recently listening to a podcast called Retronauts where they're talking about Bloodstained, something, something of something, something. I'm just so used to Iga <laughs> that his first name just kind of got lost in time for me, but I think it is Koji Igarashi. I- Igarashi. But and yeah, so, his but, last game was um, Order of Ecclesia, so this definitely would have fallen under that. Right. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of these games really defined, were really refined what the genre is. Um, as far as Metroidvania goes. Yeah, because this was the first one where they decided to give you enemy abilities because they decided to flip the script and make it so that you weren't playing as a Belmont. You were actually playing as Dracula in this game, in a sense. So, like, you weren't Dracula in the purest sense. You were, like, Dracula's soul in a vessel, and you were trying to prevent yourself from being reborn. (laughs) It was an interesting premise. But regardless of how bizarre it was, what it did mean for gameplay was that you could kill monsters and take their souls and use their souls as power-ups. So it's like a crafting system, like with like, or you just collect them and use it to power things up. Oh, you just collect them and use them. Honestly, I don't even know if I. I wonder how this would have done with something like crafting. I feel like Castlevania, at least, or the Metroidvania-style games that we've come to get used to from Mm -hmm. Iga. It's hard to picture how they would flow if crafting was a primary element to gameplay. Like, it's one thing if it's like a little side bit, 
but as a primary, it was. I think it was slow gameplay down a bit. I wonder well, how people would take to it. Oh, there's a lot of crafting in the new game, isn't there? In the new Bloodstained. There is. Ikarashi game. But it's more like, a, it's another like sort of a side mm-hmm. thing. Like, you can right. do it if you want. Otherwise, it's just, I got 50 of this crystal, which means this crystal is 50 times stronger. <laughs> or finding items and giving them to people. But as they sit down and go, I can combine these things and get a French bread pizza. It's there, but... Even then, I guess it may just as well be more like collect a bunch of stuff, and when you go to the guy, just see what's available to you, and just like dump it all out. Right. But honestly, I this is still probably my favorite of the 3ds, not 3ds, DS, you know, Castlevania games. I just liked how it created that new shape and gameplay style. Mm-hmm. I think it was also the first Castlevania game to let you get a gun. Oddly oh, enough. Well, then I have a question for Michael then. Um, is it gonna for you? Uh, whips or swords? Oh, I, I like the whips, Rob. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's that's where I am with this. Uh, that said, I'm not particularly. I'm not the most familiar with the Castlevania franchise. Actually, I, I mean, what I have played out of Castlevania, I've always really enjoyed. But I think I've always been more on the uh, on the on the Metro uh, Metro the Metroid side of the Metroidvania coin. Sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, this game's firmly on my list. I mean. Uh, in, in in another spell of heroic, frantic googling, I understand that uh, this game, uh, the quality of the music on this game, is a lot to do with uh, uh, perceived negative reaction of uh, the Harmony previous Dissonance. titles. Yeah. yeah, so they they really tried to improve the audio quite a lot for this one, right? Yeah, yeah which is it, it, I mean, compositionally, I mean, uh, it's it's very interesting, and it's this is this track is very complex. There's a few composers on this game, um, uh, Machiri Yamane being one of them, who really defined the sound of Castlevania since um, Symphony of the Night on the PlayStation. Mm. Um, and so I really wanted to choose a track from her because I, I just love that sound, that kind of like crazy Baroque, but also kind of rockin' kind of sound. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. It, it sort of goes between... We were trying to count before, weren't we? It's sort of... From from what I can tell, it's, it's like a... A mix of five eight and six eight, so it gives it a real uh, unsettling, like frantic kind of edge to it. You know, yeah. That's smart, smart choice. Yeah, and it's in a, an area called the Purgatory Arena. I mean, Ooh. I bet. I mean, I don't want to go there. I know that like frantic and like um, like stress-inducing music is like one of like Purnell's like things. But I wonder if like this doesn't immediately say stressful. But because it's so complicated, I wonder if like it, it gives you that feeling in the background without even like without even noticing. Because it kind of does like, I subliminally mean, like making you stressed out during the during the level. Well, I, I feel like it could be one of those stress because it's been so long. I don't even remember what the purgatory you played like. But what I can say is that I can picture this track being a sort of thing where if the on-screen action was elevated enough. This track would be the finishing touch to create the little the anxiety or the level of panic. Mm, sure. Like the track alone, it's got the hits, but it needs that overlay too to make you feel like, oh man, this isn't a good place to be right now. Right. But and honestly, I kind of like when games do that too. Is there's something to be said about a track that feels foreboding, but you don't know quite what you're looking, what you're in for, or what you're gonna walk into, and then when the, when the actual hammer falls, it's like, oh crap. This is the perfect combination to make me feel stressed out. I gotta get out of here. But um, yeah, this this is a good choice of track. And I do say I have to say I agree though. Harmony of Dissonance, the music in that game was so weird to me. Compared even after coming off of Circle of the Moon, it sounded I don't know like almost experimental hmm. in that sense for like oh, okay. what you're used to. 
Like, I picked a track from Harmony of Dissonance on a previous episode of the show. And even then, I was like, I had to really dig for it. In fact, that was when I had the other screen cracked I told you about for the Game Boy, the Game Boy SD. Oh, that's when, I, that's when I cracked? Yeah, it happened yeah. when I was playing that game for that episode. I was you like, know, oh, put it in my pocket. Crack. Um, I'm so, so my wife's been having some issues with her, uh, her phone cracking. So I, I got some uh, covers to put them on. And, and those are cracking now, too. So what's happening is that she's putting them into her bag and then putting her keys on top and then taking them somewhere. <laughs> Wait, is that what was uh, causing it to happen? Probably causing it to happen, yeah. So maybe like you, you have like pockets full of quarters, you know? No, quarters. It's supposed to be keys. All keys. my quarters are at home now. Yeah, but you used to carry keys a lot of quarters. Will wreck your screen. I'm imagining the Game Boy Advance like you know era of Purnell walking around with all like crazy amounts of change. I <laughs> see. <laughs> that was a weird era in my life. So fun fact, because Rob knew that, but you didn't know this, Michael. So go on. There was a period where. Like, it's already well known to have a lot of quarters, like a stupid amount of quarters. But there was one moment in time, we're talking maybe era circa 2003 or so, where mm-hmm. I had this really big coat. And I don't even know why I started doing this, but I would just put the quarters in the two large pockets on the side. And I would just make it, as, try to fill it as much as possible and walk around with like a weighted coat. If you collected change from hmm. something, you just put it in your coat and then you just kept collecting more and more change. And the running joke yeah. became that so if someone heavy. tried to mug me on the street, I could just like do like this weird spin and the <laughs> coat would fan out and smack him with this weighted pocket of quarters. And then yeah. eventually the coat gave way to the weight of the coins and burst. It, the pocket yeah, actually burst. It could stop a bullet. It could absolutely. It was, oh, man. It was like chain mail. If you were to ask me today, why did you do that? The best guess I could give you is one of two things. One, I just want to see if it can work. And two, it's almost like a set of a type of exercise, like walking around with chain mail all day. Yeah, it was like a weight, having like a weight weighted backpack. Yeah, I can imagine you jingling around the streets. Oh, I jangle. Looking for an arcade to set you <laughs> Save me! I know. I'm like, come on. We, just, we can spend all this right now for now. All right. Well, actually, not. it got to the point where it was too much, but it really did. Pretty quickly. All right. So we're going to turn the track down, and we're going to get into the part of our show that we call the bonus round. <laughs> jingle, jangle, bonus round. The bonus round is the part of our show where we play covers and remixes and arrangements on our theme. And it's always a little interesting when our theme is like a full-on you know game console so i guess we're going to be picking um arrangements and covers based on games mainly featured for this console Mm -hmm. at least that's what i did anyway so uh, michael Mm. what you got for us i believe that's more or less what i've done as well actually rob Mm. um and i've already i've already mentioned this game uh, earlier in the episode i'm going back to metroid fusion which is probably well it's definitely among my favorite game boy advance games um, and I've picked uh, a cover version by uh, a band called Metroid Metal, mm. who did a really good cover of uh, Sector One, uh, which is, it's kind of, uh, it's the music that plays in the SRX section of uh, Metroid Fusion, which is like a reproduction of the Metroid's home planet, SR388. Yeah. And it also doubles up as the music for the game's prologue, where it uh, explains like Samus getting uh, ambushed by a malignant force and uh, needs to be injected with Metroids or something crazy like that in order to survive. <laughs> so it's a really, really dark piece, actually. Uh, anyway, hope you like it. This is a Sector 1 performed by Metroid Metal, released on the album Other Album. See what they did there uh, in, tw- in 2014. <laughs> 
right, we're back. That was Sector 1 for Metroid Fusion, comp- uh, performed by Metroid Metal, the supergroup of Metroid Metal, which contains um, Stemage and um, some uh, uh, Chunk Style. <laughs> is that his name? Chunk Style? Chunk Style, wow. Yeah, his name is That's Dan Taylor. Name. And yeah, it's just really cool. So it's, it's um, a, an, a Danimal, Arm Cannon Danimal. Which what is, is Danimal Cannon? Yeah, Danimal Cannon. Uh, I'm trying to get all the because like the people kind of come in and out of this thing, but it's it's incredible. Like they're just in, really great guitarists and drummers, and they and they get together and just melt bases. Like they just blow the place up. And they're just mm-hmm. legit friendly too. Mm-hmm. That's the best part about it. Yeah, they're just like the deep, dark, heavy guitar, and they're just the nicest people. It's <laughs> so friendly. That's often how it goes. It's yeah. it's is funny. Yeah. Right, so Pernell, what's maybe she, that's why they're so oh. friendly. It's because they rock all the frustration out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, it's all cathartic. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> all right, Pernell, what's your bonus round track? So, I ended up going in that direction where I wanted to pick a track specifically from a game, and I went digging, and I came across a composer that was originally recommended to us from one of our listeners from a Patreon episode. But this time, I'm choosing the track from that composer, and I am glad to do it because this is a gem. This track is a piano cover of the ACDC Town theme from the Mega Man Battle Network series, most specifically the first game. This is composed by Insane in the Rain Music. Hopefully you enjoyed that lovely piano rendition of ACDC Town from Mega Man Battle Network, composed by Insane in the Rain Music. That Insane in the Rain! (laughs) (laughs) God. 
I, I, I love that track very much. I, I admittedly, I'll freely admit that I'm a sucker for piano. So when someone does a good job utilizing said piano, we'll just butter my grits and call me <laughs> Sunday breakfast because I'm melting. Um, it's, yeah, it's nice. It, it was a very buttery track for now. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I liked it. I liked you're like, this is a piano track, and all I hear is bass and drums. I'm like, okay. Okay. Where is, where is it? <laughs> it's a nice piano track for now. Maybe I could pick the wrong track. Maybe <laughs> one of those new age pianos. Maybe it's my fault. No. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the track I picked is also a little jazzy. In fact, it is jazz. This is <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I'm playing jazz music. Jazz music. This is jazz. Nice. Jazz music. Um, this is from Advance Wars 2 Black Hole Rising. This is Sensei's theme, and this is performed by the consoles. Just listen to Sensei's theme 
from Advance Wars 2 Black Hole Rising from the consoles. They never fail to impress with their sounds of merriment and bespectalment. Yes, I don't think that. <laughs> I totally flew yeah, out Absolutely. Again. Now, do you mind me talking about uh, uh, your, your dancing prowess, uh, Michael? <laughs> I don't know about prowess. But, uh, <laughs> no, I, was, I had a really good feeling about that tune, certainly, and it did, it did get me thinking uh, I'd like to dance to that. I've, I've got a little bit of background in, in you know, learning... Uh, like Lindy Hop and stuff like that. That's uh, a little, a little bit of background, you know. I'm I, not an expert by any stretch, but I, I, it's yeah. been a minute since I last did it, so I'd like to. This sort of tune would get me moving, so. sir. Yeah, it's got that you, rhythm to it. You are no longer Michael Bridgewater. You are now Count Michael Lightfoot. <laughs> Lightfoot. <laughs> yeah, why not? I can be a count. <laughs> <laughs> well, for more information on the bonus round part of our show, go to rhythmandpixels.com. We'll have links to band camps and sound clouds and everywhere where you can go and find the music, buy the music, and support the artists. Thanks for joining us on episode 20-5 of Rhythm and Pixels. Our look at the Game Boy Advance and also our look at Michael Bridgewater, the Count of the Lindy Hop. (laughs) (laughs) Game Boy Advance is a great system, man. It's it's got a very deep software library and a lot of very interesting and unique compositions on there. So, uh, yeah, I'm probably going to find myself considering doing another uh, episode dedicated to it myself. Uh, yeah, it's a very interesting system, so... Bring it out. Because honestly, if you do, I'm going to be ears to the ground listening to it. Yeah, I always get excited when um, when one of your new podcasts shows up on my feed, because you know, it's like, all right, cool. I mean, a, a lot of your episodes... So, so we're talking about the Forever Sound Version podcast, and we'll have links to it in our show notes on, oh, your, on the podcast and on the website, but like I think back to when I first heard like your Wu Tang Clan um, uh, <laughs> uh, focused episode, and then um, Robotron X, you did like a whole little DJ mix with all the music with that, and with um uh, with a uh, uh, Miami. Um, oh, Hotline Miami. Hotline right. Miami. Yeah, and it's just yeah, like, it's, yeah, it's, I it's love such, that game. It's just really great to listen to um, people who are really passionate about the game. One, passionate about the music, but then just like. Um, it, it's a different, completely different format than you would expect, and it's really, it's really refreshing. It's and it really doesn't good. hurt that mm-hmm. I stand by the belief that you, sir, have the best voice in the VGM podcasting scene. Yeah, I think we have the two best voices right here. You got the deep, soulful panel, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then the squeaky count. <laughs> There's no squeak. There's no squeak. Squeaky count, Michael. <laughs> here I am squeaking away. Oh, thank you very much for the kind words, though. Uh, yeah, as it happens, I, I am working on another episode of Forever Sound Version right now uh, because life is wild. Uh, I have had to knock the schedule down to size a bit in recent months, but I am trying to make it a monthly thing. So, um, yeah, at the moment, I'm working on an episode uh, dedicated to kart racing games, and there are lots of them, and some of them are really weird and gimmicky, stuff like Doraemon Kart. <laughs> and uh, chocobo racing, you know that kind of thing. Well, so, this track uh, look that's out playing, for that. this track that's playing right now could be on that episode. Oh, that's right. We're we're listening Ooh. to the Konami Kart Racers or something. Konami Crazy Racers. Konami Crazy Racers mm. on the Game Boy Advance, which is a great example of using the the Game Boy Color uh, sound hardware on, on the system. So, 
Um, and I, have I, I wonder if they, what, there was a reason for it. Maybe they just they just thought it would be a fun, yeah, um, just a cool sound. Cool sound, yeah. I honestly yeah. regret selling this game. I bought it on launch mm-hmm. and then sold it. it. Was like, oh, Mario Kart's out. The true Kart King. <laughs> I don't need Konami Crazy Racers anymore. Now no. I'm wishing I had. Still, I was so jealous of my friends who had a Super Nintendo to play Mario Kart. That um, on my old like old school PC, I was looking for any kind of like knockoff Mario Kart game that I could play. And there, there's a ton of them. There's a whole lot of knockoff. Oh, so did like, you find the game where it was circles, circle, like rolling around this, no, another circle? It's called like Crazy Racers or Crazy Animal Racers, and it's like penguins and lions, and it's really bad, and it doesn't work very well. <laughs> it's it's pretty pretty lame. But Zootopia Racer. I quickly learned also that I never wanted to play it single player. I only wanted to play it with friends, and on my PC it was just me and my younger sister who was not really into playing kart racing games, so... Oh well. I think the amazing thing also about kart racing when you lay it down. Funny we're talking about kart racing, but like I feel <laughs> like uh, for all the kart racing games that have come out over the years, though they are still fun, they haven't gotten old at all to me. I don't feel like they've truly really done a ton of innovation. Like I want to say that the biggest innovation, and it doesn't get used nearly enough, is probably Sonic Racing Transform. To me. Because that one was the one where you're kart racing and now you're in a plane and now you're underwater mm. and you're just transitioned naturally yeah. and the track I mean, changes as you drive. Yeah, it is like a cartoony, arcadey version of, of a racing game, but I feel like they, over the years they've just been refining refining it, you know, especially with yeah, the Mario Kart a, series. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, which is not a bad thing. I mean, it's just it's always fun. Oh, I, for sure. Like yeah. last last year, my whole family got together down um, at the beach, and we rented a house for the week. And I, at night, we just played Mario Kart in the house because it was just on the Switch, and it was it was so much fun. Yeah, Mario Kart's the great leveler as well because you don't even have to be a quote unquote gamer to get into it and even have a chance of winning because <laughs> of all the wild power ups and stuff. Oh yeah, you... I was wondering if either of you have seen or played. Uh, there's a VR version of Mario Kart, right? Unfortunately not, which oh, makes me yeah. kind of sad, too, because there was a period where they actually were demoing it at one place in the entire United States. It was in D.C., right? And it was in D.C., yeah. which meant okay. it was a matter of just getting in a car and driving a couple <laughs> hours and checking it out. But it wasn't even in an arcade. It was at the center of Union Station, which is a heavily trafficked metro, not metro sub, but metro, well, mass transit yeah, hub. Me, yeah, hub. There we go. <laughs> I'm so out of it. I guess it's like um, they would they would have um, art installations. They would they were just showing off new technology and stuff too. Ah, yeah. I see. I like, see. I regret not making it down for that, just because I think it would have been pretty cool yeah. to check it out. I think at the time also I had a friend who used to live down that way, but he had moved the summer before they installed the exhibit. I was like, if you were there just a little longer, <laughs> could just we could all wait because of a big uh, party. But uh, yeah, that would have been cool. But like, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, did you guys ever play that game? No, that would have been cool. Moving <laughs> <laughs> on. Did, did, did you ever get a chance to check it out or no? No, not at all. No, I mean, I, I was, I mean, I was in Tokyo last year. Well, getting on for this time last year, and I was, that was the first time I'd seen Mario Kart in an arcade environment. Actually, I always thought of it as a, as a like console title, which of course it is, but I didn't realize it was in arcades, and uh, I saw. 
I, I went to a quite a few arcades that had a, a version of Mario Kart in there, and mm. it functioned perfectly fine as an arcade title, which came as no real surprise. But right, yeah, um, yeah, it was. It was it's, didn't expect to see it. Yeah, I feel like uh, the only but, thing it was lacking, because like I've played the arcade one a bit. Only thing it was lacking that one, that one up here at our, uh, the round one arcade near us. Oh right? yeah, yeah. I want, it just needs shortcuts. Like there, yeah. you know, Mario Kart to me is like you find shortcuts on the track. And you always feel good to find them, and you know I gotta hit this, how hit this hop in just the right way so I can go down this back mm. alley in this level. But now, like the arcade one, it's just here's a straightaway, yep. another straightaway. There's no real like track <laughs> yeah, exploration, which is interesting because a lot of um, uh, arcade racing games had a lot of shortcuts, like um, San Francisco Rush. Oh yeah, all about the shortcuts. Yeah, like yeah. great shortcuts. Yeah, too. like you would you would play against random people, and they'd be like, "How did he finish the race already?" You know. <laughs> oh, he found <laughs> a way to drive through the office building. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah or cut across like an ocean. Um, anyway, if you would like to uh, also get in contact with us, if you'd like to, to talk about kart racing. Um, and and green shells and red shells and all the shells, please uh, send us an email. Well, listen to the Fervor Salvage episode that's coming. Yeah. But also write to... Eventually. Pixels at hotmail.com. Um, yeah, say hi to us while we answer everything that comes in there, even all the spam, which we get a lot of spam. Um, <laughs> uh, if, if you'd like more information about our show, a track, list, track listings from all of our episodes... Um, and access to all of our episodes and all everything that we're doing, um, all of the the game reviews that Pernell's written for Hayport Player. And oh, uh, lately, that has I haven't had as much time to do it anymore because <laughs> I'm too many written yeah. re- like verbal reviews. Yeah, you're on the podcast train. But I, if you want access to all of that, go to www.rhythmandpixels.com. That's good. Hey Johnson, good. That's hit all of the W's on those. Wiley works. And you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. It's Rhythm and Pixels, all one word. Um, we have a little group on Facebook called Rhythm and Pixels Chat. There's also the VGN Podcast Fans Chat because there's a, there's a quite a few uh, video game music podcasts out there that have been doing it about as long as we have and about and um, way better than we have, I would say. Hey, now yeah. we're at least we're we're kind of we're middling. That's where we're we're, 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 we're <laughs> up there. Um, I would have you down as my favorite podcast. Aww. I would say for what it's worth. It's a friendly voice every week. It's uh, brilliant. We'll so your checks in the mail. It. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Stop Thank it. you very much. That's I don't very accept Bitcoin, though. <laughs> Dogecoin. Dogecoin. Um, but yeah, uh, also go to uh, youtube.com slash rhythm and pixels. There we're um, uploading. Um, all the episodes are there. Um, we also have a 24-7 radio, radio station of 8-bit and 16-bit classics and deep cuts that's playing on there when my power is on and not completely blown away and um if you like to support the show you can hit subscribe or review it on itunes or apple music or whatever it's called now tell your friends tell your friends tell your friends tell your enemies halloween's coming tell those kids about the show just stick it in their bags in fact if you're going to a party you can dress as me and pernell you can dress as me and pernell (laughs) at the same time that would be scary yeah but also very garbage pail esque. I approve. Yeah, it would be crazy. Um, you can also go to patreon.com slash rhythm and pixels and you can support us that way. You get access to a live streamed uh, uh, recording of our episodes once a month. And we also like to give you a thank you at the end of every episode. So we'd like to thank, excuse me, th- we'd like to thank that Nick Walker. New patron, excuse me? <laughs> no, that was uh, too much saliva in my mouth. I don't want to ruin people's <laughs> names. That's a really long name. 
We'll start with um, too much saliva in my mouth. Nick Walker, <laughs> uh, Mike Myers. Uh, hi, Mike. I uh, really appreciate uh, everything you're, you're doing for us, which is sending us money. Well, to thank Phantom Chest, Steve Miller, the Autistic Gamer eighty nine, Cameron Worma, Christopher Shenstrom, Bobby Arson from One Up Funk, Wicked Sephiroth, OK Impala, Carlito, Kung Fu Carlito from the Heroes Three podcast, Michael Bridgewater. The He's count, right here. The Count. Yo. From the Forever Sound Version podcast. Brian Pitt. Chris Murray. Uh, Ed Wilson from the VG Embassy. Um, is, is this the dude? No, it's not the dude. Who is this? <laughs> Alexander Proudfoot. Davy Cakes. The Dude. The Last Recon. Bedroth. Jupiter Jazz. Sola Sanctuary. Damian Beckles. Joe Vasallo. Chris Steenerson. Alex the Messenger. Messenger. Patron Saint of all VG Owned Podcasts. And David Smith. I just love that. He's like, crap, the name gets cut off. I got to improvise. <laughs> I know. <right? laughs> um, every week I'm like, oh, this, why don't, why can't I see everyone's full name? It's okay. But thank you all so much for your support of the show. It's It means a lot to us. Thank um, you for being yeah. awesome people in all seriousness. And remember, this is, I guess you'll still have a few days left, but spooky is the theme. Live is the game. Right. So in two weeks, we yes. have our live streamed episode. If you'd like your tracks featured on the show, um, if you have any favorite spooky games, if you have any favorite um, spooky music, or if you have any favorite tracks from games that you thought were scary at the time. There you go. <laughs> there you go. If someone like scared you while you were playing the game. Barbie Horse Adventures, yeah. traumatizing. I would like Ooh. to hear about it. So send it our way. You can send it on Facebook. You can send it on over the email. Either way is fine. But anyway, let's thank, thanks, uh, Michael, for coming on the show. Is there anything else you wanted to plug while you're here? Uh, oh, maybe I should mention the the ordeal I'm putting myself through next month. What do you think? Yes, I yes. think so, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, um, the last couple of years I've been doing this thing where I play a load of strange, funny, weird, and bad old video games for 24 hours and stream the whole thing to raise money for various uh, human rights uh, organizations. And this year, I'm doing the same thing. Uh, it might be the last time I do it, we'll have to see. But on um, Saturday 9th of November of this year, I will be uh, playing games from 9am until 9am the following Sunday. Oh uh, I've got some real, real howlers lined up already. Like, uh, <laughs> what are some highlights? NSYNC, yeah. NSYNC, get to the show on the Nintendo Game Boy Color for one. Uh, just lots of nonsense, basically. And I'm raising money for a, a UK-based human rights organization called Freedom From Torture, who are dedicated to the treatment and rehabilitation of torture survivors. Torture, unfortunately, continues to be a thing, uh, incredibly. Uh, so they do some really good work in in uh, helping survivors of that. Uh, so if you want to help me out, uh, you can go to justgiving.com slash fundraising slash weirdgames2019. That's 2019. And uh, you can leave me, you know, even even like a couple of couple of dollars, couple of pounds. It's tiny donations. They're, they're all great. They're all very much appreciated. So, And you can tune in on the day and uh, watch me on Twitch get increasingly more frazzled yes. like I did last year, right? <laughs> yeah, tuning in towards the last like four to six hours is one of the best decisions that you'll make in the, in the, <laughs> this year. This is hysterical. 
Uh, I wonder if I'll have any, any kind of goals like throughout the stream if we can get you to do anything silly or uh, to drink anything oh, suspect. Do your worst. Yeah, sure. Do your worst. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we look forward to that. We'll have links to that on the website and on the podcast as well. Uh, but, thank um, you. Anyway, thanks everyone for joining us on the show, Rhythm and Pixels. My name is Rob Nichols. And I'm Pernell. Have a safe week. And remember, life gets busy, do a lot of things, have a good time, and sometimes we don't, but for the most part, we're constantly active. But in the, sp- in the midst of all that, it gets weirdly easy to lose track of family, I would say. You know, if you don't live with your folks, you don't live with, you know, close relatives or nearby, these just kind of get them lost in the shuffle. But if you can, and if they are people that you are close to still, Try to make that extra bit of time to say hi to them. Say hi to your mom, your dad. Just catch up. See how you're doing because time's not guaranteed. You don't know what time you've got. And honestly, put it to use while you can. It's just worth it. <laughs>